Chapter 4 Divine Madness Okay, enough gibbering. I mean, there was quite a bit of it. I was completely round the bend for a while. Hey, don't laugh. You try it sometime. I had just discovered that the outside was really inside, and the inside was really a nice little white sand beach with trees and the deep blue sea. Huh? Yeah, that was more or less my reaction. After I woke up. After I stopped screaming. Now the thing is that one can only scream for so long before one's voice becomes sore. One can only sit gibbering and rocking slowly back and forth for so long before one becomes cold and hungry. Instincts that you didn't even know you had begin to kick in, or can kick in. I'm sure there are some people who would have continued to sit on that beach gibbering and slobbering and rocking back and forth until the day they died. I think that was kind of the point. Could I handle it? Could I survive? There is something very soothing about a beach on a nice sandy hill with a hole of the ocean spread before you. You can watch the most spectacular sunsets, I can tell you that. Yeah, I gibbered for a time. I jabbered. I slurped and slobbered. I spent a lot of time on that beach just staring out at the ocean, watching the waves grow and fade. After a while, you sort of calm down. Kind of divine madness begins to take hold. And you start to accept your fate. Well, resign yourself to the possibility that you're going to be spending the rest of your life on a little stretch of beach before the great huge ocean. And you start to think about how you got there. But you just kind of start to accept it, too. Let me see if I've got this straight. Some guy appears in the door to your office just up and appears there without occupying any space in front of or behind that moment. Sure, why not? So this guy doesn't do much of anything after that. Well, he does say that your name is Matthew Drake, even though he had no reason to believe that your name was Matthew Drake. You were kind of under the impression that your name was Jerry Christensen. So? Okay, point two. Charlie walks in and doesn't recognize you. He's looking for Matthew Drake. He then has you thrown out of the building. You convince yourself that you really are this Matthew Drake person, at which point Charlie recognizes you as Matthew Drake. Why didn't he recognize you before? Who cares? Okay, last question. How the hell did the great outdoors that exist in front of your office building turn into the contents of a big ugly brown wood box sitting on a beach out in the middle of nowhere? Are you really expecting an answer to that question? Just is, okay? Deal with it. Has to do with that whole pin the tail on the donkey analogy. See, the fair folk dropped a bag over my head and spun me in circles until I fell on my ass and puked my guts out. Now they were waiting to see if I could still stick it to the ass. None of which I knew at the time, of course. Still working on that whole divine madness analogy. A sane person cannot touch God, see? Think he was Greek, Dionysus. I think that was him. Well, anyways, I'm drifting again. My point is that the touch of God exists outside of science. You can't study or prove it through scientific observation to say that a holy angel just fluttered down from heaven and touched you on the tip of your nose. I mean, prove it! There she is! Where? I don't see shit! You must be crazy! Some call it faith. I've come to believe that it takes an ounce of madness to believe in something by that its very definition can never be proven, can never be seen, photographed, or recorded in any way can only be seen by those crazy enough to want to see it. Yeah, I had a lot of time to just sit there and watch the ocean wax and wane, I tell ya.
One cannot sit on a beach and contemplate the fact that the whole of the world that he knew could fit into a wood box twenty feet on a side and remain totally cognizant in the head. For all I knew, I really had gone round the bend, and I was really in some padded room somewhere, wrapped in a nice warm straitjacket, while drooling at the mouth. Could be true. Everything around me could be the fantasy. Sand, surf, ocean. Thought like that affect you. Divine madness. You're never the same again. But first I got hungry. That's what finally woke me from my stupor. Hunger. Easily solved. Bananas, coconuts, strawberries. All easily available on and around the beach. Yeah, wild strawberries. They're tiny little red things. Have you ever had wild strawberries? Oh, let me tell you that once you've tasted wild strawberries, those giant red things you find in the store can never compare. Shelter was a little harder to come by. Shelter that first night was little more than keeling over next to a rather large piece of driftwood. I did eventually get organized, dragged great big pieces of wood around, made something resembling shelter. Fire? Forget it. I couldn't rub two sticks together if my life depended on it. Fortunately, the weather was nice. Never got that cold at night. I did eventually get fire, but that was because I went more than a little funny in the head. All goes back to that divine madness thing I was talking about. Like I said, I had a lot of time to sit on that beach. I did do some exploring. I think I was on an island. But I was never able to explore enough of it to satisfy myself that it was an island. I mean, the world I had known had totally vanished. Space in front of my office building turned out to be a box sitting on a beach. So why should I believe that I was on an island, right? Well, why not? So it's an island. Sure, I never got to explore the whole entire thing. So maybe it was a promontory of a much larger continent or something. Why not? Beach was enough for me. Oh, right, about the fire situation. See, spend enough time on an island that shouldn't exist, and you'll start to wonder what it's all about. What anything and everything is all about. Someone had appeared in my door, just up, and suddenly he was there, like magic. So why not magic? People could appear and disappear. People could know me but not know me. If my name could change without me knowing it, then what else? What if I could do shit, like, oh, I don't know, start a fire? Touched by the strange... Touched by the mad, touched by the divine. Why not? So I started a fire. Yeah, I did. Just because I wanted a fire. He said, let there be light, and there was. And he found that it was good. I was so far gone by this point that didn't even spook me that I was able to spark a fire through sheer force of will. Well, not quite like that. I didn't grunt and struggle and strain or anything like that. I held my fair share of staring contests with bundles of sticks before I finally got it. One does not get fire by wanting fire. One gets fire to exist where there was no fire a moment ago by accepting the fact that fire was already there, was always there. You just had to realize that it was. Accept it. Notice it. There are cute little ducklings nibbling on your toes. Quack, quack. Kind of a zen thing. I can get away with saying shit like that because I've got no fucking clue what I'm talking about. After that, things got real interesting. If fire, then why not wood for a nice house? If wood for a nice house, then why not telekinesis to put the house together without having to do any actual work? If telekinesis, then why not flight? If flight, then why not swimming, water breathing, shape changing? Yeah, I had some grand old times on that island. A butterfly wakes from a long night to sleep, hungry for some nectar, whatever the hell it is that butterflies eat, and remembers a really wonderful dream it had had. The butterfly had dreamt that it was a man. In the dream, the butterfly had done man stuff. Walked, talked, squashed a spider, ate beef, fucked, taken a shit, and slept. 
Yes, the butterfly thought that it had been a most excellent dream. Of course, a butterfly, being a butterfly, had a very amusing thought. Why, the dream had ended with the man drifting off to sleep. So who's to say that the butterfly was not really a man dreaming he was a butterfly? It was such an amusing thought that it entertained the butterfly for the rest of that long day and for many a day that followed after. Oh, I don't know how long I lived on that island. Got to the point where I enjoyed it. You ever see the Sorcerer's Apprentice? Part right before the infinite number of brooms with arms start carrying an infinite supply of water into the hovel until it floods? Yeah, like that. Fire, storm, and sun, clouds and lightning bolts, with just a touch of night on Bald Mountain. You know, the part where he's making those women born of fire dance on his fingertips. That was fun. Anyway, one day I did something really stupid. I realized that I'd never gone anywhere back near the big old ugly wood box. I mean, what was up with that? Well, I know why I'd stayed away from it. Things scared the shit out of me. It represented chaos or something. Contact with that box had a tendency to adversely affect my lifestyle. So one day I had a hankering to do some exploring, check out the box, see if anyone was home. So I went to the door. It was still kind of dangling open. Wood on one side, glass on the other. Really cool, actually. I could see the lobby of my office building through the glass of the partially open wood-on-one-side door. I couldn't see anyone, but I could see part of the lobby. I stepped back through the door, checking out the strange little world inside. It's really amazing. Hard to believe that all the buildings and everything are just pasted on the inside of a wood box. Okay, I'm standing there. I'm looking at everything. I notice someone sitting on that old concrete bench that I'd sat on staring at my driver's license. He looks okay. Fancy suit. Snappy dresser. Expensive looking shoes. Nice tie. Not too gaudy. I hate ties that are so bright they can put out an eye. He looks at me and smiles like the Cheshire cat. This audio recording of The Fearful Vigidian, Pin the Tail on the Donkey, is copyright 2010 by Keith T. Jones. All rights reserved. <laughs>